to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America. As long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. Hello. Leslie Lee, welcome to Pod Damn America. Uh, pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I, I do have to say that this uh, appearance is a part of our ongoing arbitration over the rights to the phrase manette. Um, I know you are obligated to do this, but I'm nevertheless uh, happy to be on. <laughs> of course. Well, I mean... Your people will be hearing from my people. Um, <laughs> I think uh, man, Ed is too good for any of us to really stick our forks in entirely. No, well, we'll let the course decide. <laughs> That's what uh, we have to. Uh, a little term we have in the stand-up world about that, uh, known as parallel writing. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, f- I feel a little bit. Like I have some ownership over it simply because I um, banged up my professional uh, reputation so much over yeah. the topic of Nanette. <laughs> you know, yes, you have suffered more for Nanette than Nanette did, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Um, well, we'll wait till they see my one-person show about it. Um, anyways, uh, Leslie Lee, the third of Struggle Session. I'm sure plenty of our listeners will be familiar, but if you're not. Struggle Session is a uh, a great leftist um, sort of pop culture podcast Um, I'm a big fan of, so I'm glad to finally have uh, one of y'all on. Yeah, I'm so happy to be on, um, especially since we've have had you on, Jake, and Alex. Um, We've had Alex on twice, actually, and he never invited us on um, Pod Dem America for some reason, and I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying I'm hurt by it, but you know, it's a little funny, it's a little funny, what, what's the deal, uh, Alex, I, I do want to say that when we had him on our show, we made him watch Berserk, which is this really fucked up anime, and it scarred him um, for life, I think, so I think he may have a little bit of resentment for, uh, from that, but that's the life of podcasting, well, okay? It's entirely possible. Alex Patak it does seem slightly unhinged at times. <laughs> yes, seems, that, and that's our fault. He watches a lot of anime, and sometimes I wonder if he's seen just too much. Um, <laughs> so I wouldn't worry too much about that. But, um, yeah, <laughs> glad to have you on the show. I, I must say, I listened to an episode recently, and I uh, this happens to me quite a bit, because I guess I'm just in the podcast world a lot. But I was just, um, you know, just... just uh, pining away the hours minding my own business listening to a podcast at work and then suddenly heard you guys talk about my show (laughs) and uh how i guess we're getting similar ratings but that's cool that's good news um no oh no no to be clear you are getting bigger ratings than us and it's starting to you know it's a problem okay because i feel like we've had you on our show yeah the whole you know da kicking down your door thing that probably helped but i think our show could take a little bit of credit for it and now your numbers are out doing our numbers and was i mean it's a joke but it's kind of is kind of like the ridiculousness of podcasting because you know we have to we're constantly looking at these numbers either or if we're on twitter if we're on soundcloud like like 
I have a job besides this where I have to meet numbers constantly and drives me fucking insane. And then I come on and I have to do the same goddamn thing. Um, <laughs> and this is uh, one of my uh, primary examples of hell world. It's like at no point in my life do I stop being graded on something. And then I'm in competition with other people I like. To Well, Pots, damn America got 8,000 views and we only got 6,000. What the fuck? So what do we got to do? And it's like it's constant and it sucks. <laughs> yeah i know believe me i'm, I'm feeling it right now <laughs> i'm like yeah. uh i'm in this weird like uh, crisis with this show right now where it's like oh i think i did it like i made a a thing that i can probably get pretty close to centering my career around and uh you know what happens when that happens leslie Complete fucking misery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, I guess if I was to uh, to be a you know plain old uh, normie liberal about it, um, I'd say you know what, Leslie. Good morning. Let's get this bread. <laughs> uh, there's nothing. The last thing I want to do in the morning is get bread. Who fucking eats bread in the morning? I know. It's fucking, uh, fucking carbs. Anyway, um, let's talk about this. Um, this blue wave that uh, we just experienced this week. The uh, well, go ahead. The blue wave. I didn't experience a wave. I, I think I said this on uh, Jack AM's uh, stream. It was more like the blue last three drops that end up in your underwear when you're at the urinal. <laughs> yeah. That was more what it was like. Yeah, it was. Con- it was a confusing feeling watching these results come in. Um, it didn't feel like maybe entirely uh, one way or the other. Um, I just, I've never, I've never been part of a a crowd at a bar that just dissipated in emotion so quickly. Like <laughs> it felt like watching one of those, uh, like one of those Super Bowls where. You know, it just doesn't really function like a Super Bowl or somebody just gets crushed in like the first yeah. whatever, you know. Um, I think my main takeaway so far in terms of, um, you know, obviously something that we have to analyze here on both of our shows um, being the, the you know, just the, the atrocious hashtag resistance response to literally anything <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> is, uh, I mean, the, the, the first thing that jumped out to me that's probably kind of uh, a bummer and a bad sign is just the insistence now that Beto O'Rourke should be the 2020 candidate. Oh, yeah. Um, because he lost? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's it's how that so works. It's so funny. It's so, well, this, it's how Democrat brains work. Like, losing means you're winning. Um, that's why Hillary Clinton is still around. While on the Republican side, and people were talking about this, like, have been talking about this for years and years and years, that, you know, when you lose a presidential election as a Republican, like, they just fucking bury you. They bury you with your entire staff, and then you're basically <laughs> never heard from again. But Democrats keep letting people have second bites at the apple. And, like, the fact that Beto O'Rourke... Now, he did out overperform, but at the end of the day, it's like... It, what I, I think it's really indicative of is, like, he's a, you know, charismatic guy, handsome, you know, pretty decent politics, and he's a white male, and, like... They don't have, like, usually the Democrats are supposed to have, like, 10 of those people. They don't have any of those people. <laughs> and young, too. Young, too. It's like, so they, they're so desperate 
for something and we're only two years away we're, we're no we're not two years away we're like six months away from the start of the next presidential election and they don't really have anything to hang their hat on none of the like you know like cory booker kamala harris they're like black you know they don't want to support them and really unless it's like you know that's their second choice if they they don't have any handsome white men to run for them to <laughs> defeat trump and like they're just grabbing on to whatever they can including someone who lost his election yeah i do like how um the presidential race now it's, it's like on the same um time track as uh like christmas where it just like keeps getting yeah. closer and closer to right after halloween um, which I guess the midterms is Halloween in the scenario, but, um, yeah, Beto also, I mean, you're right. If he was a Republican, they would have like kicked him into that hole from 300 and never heard from <laughs> him again, you know, but there's this strange, um, redemption story sort of already in the works about him. Um, yeah, I know it's really funny because you think that the left is mired in all these identity politics and they're going to sort of use that around someone like a Cory Booker or Kamala Harris. But at the end of the day, I think that some of them are like some people on the left or the, you know, the center or whatever are so they're like meta racist where they're like, no, we have to run Beto because other people are racist and yes, they only want yeah, to vote exactly. for a white guy. Yeah. They think they push too far with Obama who, you know, if he ran again, would, win by like triple digits somehow right but they think that's that they push too far with obama being half black and so they need to correct course and and hillary clinton wasn't enough so they need to go with a safe white man because america is just too damn racist and that's been like the basis for all these stories that have happened since trump won where every single fucking week there's a new story like see this is the proof trump won because trump voters are racist i'm like You've been saying for years that all white people are racist. All white people are racist. So, of course, <laughs> Trump voters are racist, too. And all those same studies and polls do show that, like, 60% of Clinton voters think black people are lazy. You know, stuff like that. So, uh, white Clinton voters think black people are lazy. Like, all, like, racism is there. But the fact is, Obama was able to defeat it because he ran a good campaign. He was able to win over racist uh, Democrats or, you know, swing voters, I guess with his campaign with his message and that should be more the focus instead of trying to um like so they're not committed to like ending racism in any serious way because you have to end capitalism for that so their plan is just to like kowtow a little bit to ra to racist by like nominating a white man which still has progressive values that's the compromise they're willing to make but like it, but it's not like Cory Booker is like a better option or anything. Like I don't think I, he's a pretty like, you know, fa uh, facile guy. Like not very charismatic, not very good politician in my opinion. So, like the Democrats really have nothing um, except uh, Beto, who was in a band with the one of the guys from Mars Volta, and <laughs> that that alone would would get him my vote vote normally <laughs> yeah no i'm not gonna lie i mean that is pretty cool i'm a texas boy so um you know even oh yeah what part uh i grew up in houston um right. which actually uh, had um some pretty cool results uh 
this week during the midterms. Um, you know, like I said, it's this huge mixed bag or whatever. But as I've been sifting through the stories of everything that happened during uh, the quote unquote blue wave, like there's like obviously this dead pimp in uh, Nevada. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, for anyone that's listening that didn't hear this story, a, um, a, Repu- a Republican won an assembly seat. Um, you know, some small race or whatever, but he literally died like months ago. <laughs> and, and on top of that, he's a pimp. So, um, I mean, I think he should be the Democratic front runner for 2020 personally. Uh, <laughs> he, he at least won. But um, another thing that happened is um, somewhere, somewhere around the number of like 49 judge seats got flipped in uh, Houston. I think like all of them in Harris County. Um, and they all went to black women. And there's also this DSA endorsed judge that won. And um, a judge on his way out was so mad about the results of these uh, these judge seats that he um, he went on record. And I, I got to pull up his quote. Um, let's see if I can find it. But basically, his quote was something along the lines of like he had all these people that that um, that he let go. He released a bunch of people from his jails and said like, you know what, you know, uh, his sentiment was essentially like, <laughs> you know, these are criminals. Like, uh, you know, I'm going to get you. I'm going to release them. And it's like everyone wanted oh, them released. They were nonviolent. Sweet people. dude, it, awesome. <laughs> it reminded me of a couple years ago in New York when the NYPD um, sort of tried to pull this move where oh, they went on yeah. strike and everyone was like, "Good, like we don't want you on the streets." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah, they did like that little like slow work slow down, and everybody was like, nobody noticed except like less of their friends were get going to jail. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. You you aren't necessary. Thank you. Um, yeah, <laughs> and the sentiment just being like, you know, that we'll be so sorry and we'll come crawling back and beg like, please, police, come abuse us in the streets and beat the shit <laughs> out of us again. You know. Um, <laughs> That's what happens when you believe your own PR when you when you're a cop and you go home and watch the Law and Order marathon. Like that's not who you are, man. Like, <laughs> people don't need you or want you. But like I think what you're getting at is like when you do dig deep down, there are some cool things that happen for Democrats. And I think I had a like more impact than some of these big races people were looking at. I think the, it's the loss of the big races, like Gillum um, possibly losing, you know, Abrams possibly losing, Beto losing. Like, these were all the races that, you know, got all the national attention. These were the names that everybody knew. But then when you look deeper, it's like, for example, in my town, Car- Barbara Comstock uh, lost, which I was very surprised by. And, like, that's a good thing. A lot of House... Um, like state houses flipped, um, state senates flipped. Like when you look down, like, and I think some of that stuff has more effect on people's lives than some of these, you know, big senate races. You know, I, I like if Beto had won, that wouldn't have changed the makeup of the senate or anything. You know, yeah. it would still be the same senate, but, but there was so much folk money and focus and energy put into these handful of races when you know you can win from like the bottom up too yeah for sure um i just i just pulled up the a story about this judge okay so after losing re-election texas judge releases several juvenile defendants after 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 asking one question um here's the question he asked the juveniles were asked whether they were going to if released kill somebody (laughs) 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 and uh someone in the room a public defender was quoted as saying i am baffled by why he did it (laughs) um so complete fucking insanity but so he let out children he 
let children out of prison as his fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) That's how (laughs) how backwards this guy was, is that he thought that was a fuck you. Um, Anyway, I got to say, I got to feel a little bit of love for my home county down there. But yeah, like I said, I am a a Texas boy. I was... uh, I grew up in Houston and, um, you know, grew up listening to the, the at the drive-in and the Mars Volta and all that shit. So, and also having sort of kept in touch with a lot of my old friends from back there, you know, during this Beto thing, man, it was really hard to, uh, I don't know, to, to get emotionally involved with it at all because, um, you know, Texas is this white whale for, um, Democrats and, you know, I think, the smarter of us knew not to get our hopes up because the thing is a, you know, voter suppressed and gerrymandered to shit. Um, you know, but also, um, there, there, there's a gen, like there's a genuine wall of people that I think you can't beat down there. Um, I've been thinking a lot about AMLO, the guy who won in, uh, Mexico and how, you know, he, uh, he ac- he probably actually won the last couple of elections he competed in, but um, you know the corruption. I mean, they they were able to edge him out just by you know tweaking the numbers or whatever, and then he actually won this time by getting so many more votes that it would be impossible on a world stage to <laughs> to, to fudge the numbers and go this guy didn't win. And I think that's the sort of thing that you need in Texas. And I've just been thinking about how um, I watched the debates between Beto and Cruz and you know the whole time Beto's on this you know amazing campaign and it's getting all this attention and he's doing kickflips in Whataburger parking lots and stuff and like you know um all these there's just like a mural of him in Austin with like a Superman (laughs) uh (laughs) you know shirt on and um uh, also a funny story about that mural someone defaced it and wrote that he was um like a uh um a war hawk or something. Some oh, imperialist. Yeah, they wrote that he was an imperialist, <laughs> and uh, everyone in town that doesn't understand fucking any of this <laughs> was like some Republican, you know, defaced this mural because there's only two sides of there's only Republicans yeah. and Democrats, right? <laughs> and understand that it's um you know some crazy leftist or whatever down there. But um, I was watching the debates and you know he was getting these applause breaks and he was getting all this coverage and. You know, you were seeing clips of him, you know, in your Facebook feed or in the news or whatever of him, like, you know, owning Cruz in all yeah, these ways yeah. or whatever. But if you paid attention with a with a trained ear to Republican politics, Cruz doesn't have it's almost a testament to like how much people believe in that capitalist shit down there that he can be so fucking unlikable and still get them by just really saying this basic free market capitalist shit. Um, all he had to do was trot out, you know, a few lines about the market and some weird rattle off some statistics that probably weren't even true about, um, you know, whatever Obamacare, some bullshit like that. And, you know, there's a huge silent majority down there of just like old fucks that are relentlessly capitalistic. And I was thinking about it a lot because I had like a, like history teachers growing up, you know, where I learned all this bullshit where, um, you know, I mean, they would, they still think that like, um, how do I phrase this? Okay. So in Texas specifically, politics are not really thought of 
in terms of a, a like a, a spectrum between capitalistic and anti-capitalistic, it's more individualist and not individualist, right? So yeah, the fear is at once of both communists and socialists and Nazis. All of these things are the opposite of what Texans you know think of themselves as believing in, right? So I mean, you're literally hearing people say like, you know, well. Uh, Nazis, that's National Socialism, etc. Um, you would hear people talk about the specter of communism. You would hear all these um, these rants from these old fucking cow people about how like the the threat of leftist politics is um, a threat to your individuality and yes. your agency as an individual or whatever. And I think that my personal takeaway from Beto is that because... Uh, he didn't engage that in a meaningful way and he tried to do the third way thing where he skated around it and sort of, um, you know, tried to get those people's votes too. You're just never going to win Texas that way. You're never going to flip it unless there's like a national conversation about what these values actually mean and how, you know, that's not a really a good way of looking at capitalism and its role in, you know, your life, I guess. Um, so I think it's kind of a fool's errand. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, so I'm from Louisiana, so I th- we think I think we have the same kind of politics down there. If you look at the results there, it's just like all red except this one, the one district that they like reverse gerrymandered into being <laughs> allowing like Democrats to win. Because once you gerrymand, you can only gerrymander so many places. You gotta have like one block that has like enough voters that you can have a Democrat win and that's and that's new orleans of course and that's (laughs) new orleans and parts of baton rouge like it's so fucked up like it's just like a fucking it's like a crescent moon shape like screeching through like the bottom half of the state and that's the (laughs) one district uh, that that encompasses the two cities with the most black people in it and that's how they um that's how the democrats were able to win um one house seat just uh just one in the whole uh state but yeah like so you have to you have to I, I i was talking about the narrative of the democrats and how they really didn't have one they didn't say what they were going to do for people basically and like like so when the republicans talk they say all right we're going to you know, let you do what you want. We're not going to let the have the government get in your way. We're not going to overtax you. And then you can do for yourself what you want, right? You're going to, you know, go out there and, you know, play the capitalistic lottery. They don't phrase it like that, but that's basically what, what that is. You're going to have an opportunity at the American dream. And that's what we're going to do for you. We're going to give you an opportunity without getting you in the way. And all the Republicans are on the same page about this. They're very clear about this. They're explicit about this. Everybody knows what the Republicans stand for. With the Democrats, they never make like that, the, you know, the more um, collectivist like counter arguments like, hey, if we all work together, we can all take care of each other. Like they never the, the Democrats never expressed it and they certainly never express it like on a wide scale when all the party is on like one page with this. Like they try to you know cater to like it like they don't have one singular message that's it what that's clear whatsoever aside from we're not trump we're not the republicans the republicans are bad and that's not enough to um get 
the non-voters out there to vote for you. That's really what where the Democrats are losing. I think if they actually had a message that would convince people that politics actually matter to them and can affect their lives and improve their lives, like things would be different. But the, at the end of the day, the Democrats don't want to put out that message because they don't like really believe it either. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think also, you know, that, I guess, like, what I've been trying to kind of wrap my head around is it like, um, you know, it would have been cool if Beto had sort of been able to snatch this away from Ted Cruz, but I don't think it's really going to happen until, like, it's. I don't think it's going to happen in that order. I don't think someone's going to beat someone like Ted Cruz and then change politics from there. I think we're going to have to change um, a lot of, uh, you know, just just things that people believe in before they come around and then even vote for someone, even just who's a Democrat. Like, it's, it, it, I don't even know that I'm saying that like a, like a Bernie would win down there. I mean, cause like the funny thing about Texas is that there's a fucking billboard on the drive between Houston and Dallas. That's just got a picture of Obama with a Hitler mustache. And it just says socialist. Um, <laughs> these people think, you know, any, <laughs> any Democrat is a socialist, they don't understand the subtle nuance between, you know, neoliberal and leftist and all this stuff. So, um, you know, I don't know. I think you really, you need to, like you're saying, you need a movement that's going to inspire non-voters. And in order to do that, you have to get the cobwebs out of these people's heads about, um, you know, because, like, this individualist shit is normal down there. Even non-voters are just yeah. like, that's the zero line where they start. So when you try to start selling someone on, you know, why they should join the DSA or something like that, they're, that those are the questions they always bring up. Um, that's, that's what's like the norm, I guess. Um, so I don't know. I was, uh, I listened to the I'll plug your podcast again, the, the struggle session you guys did on uh, fight club. And I actually found it really interesting because um, yeah, you know, since that movie there really hasn't been um <laughs> like a proper like anti-capitalist um big big piece of cultural propaganda um and, and and the sad part is that no one picked up on it and that movie has now just been maligned as like toxic masculinity or act uh, toxic you know toxic masculinity run amok like that's not the film that's not what um <clears throat> that's not what the writer had in mind i don't know i haven't read uh, a lot about what fincher said about it but wherever he said about it when you look at the film it's really about like joint like all these people are dissatisfied with capitalism it's failed them it's made their lives miserable they're not mad they're not mad at women uh in the film they specifically talk about that they're mad at their fathers they're mad at the system and they get together they work together to take it down and blow up the banks like that is a good leftist <laughs> parable that more people um that we really should have been using the left at the, at the time should have been using to recruit. Unfortunately, it came out like 10 years too early. It came out before, you know, the stock market crash where people where the anti-capitalist uh, sentiment or at least the anti-bank sentiment was, you know, more rampant and prevalent in popular culture. So people didn't really understand it and, and the and liberalism really can't 
deal with a movie like Fight Club because it's not a liberal film. When you really look at the message, it's more of like a it's much more radical uh, than that. It's like it's anarchist in a lot of ways. That's why actually the alt right does not like the film because the um, the because Project Mayhem they're anarchists. They want to take down the system. They think Western civilization uh, fucking sucks. They 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 want to destroy it. They want to take down. Uh, everything where of course you know the alt right they're traditionalists they want you know to preserve white culture and western civilization when the movie uh when the characters in the movie uh completely and utterly uh condemn that at every opportunity yeah i think it was a, a fantastically sort of misread thing or at least it has been in retrospect because it got associated with um you know, a lot of the politics that actually are completely anti it. But um, I guess I've just been thinking about that a lot because I think you and I are both probably like culture guys in, on some level. Um, we're both people that consume a lot of it and uh, understand it. And I guess I'm just saying we're nerds or whatever. But um, yeah, <laughs> but, um, you know, having just come out the other end of an electoral, you know, cycle, this is when I always think about this stuff because, you know, the fucking week before these races are concluded that's i think when you should shut up and just be like hey beto's great you know but afterwards when we talk about doing the long-term work you know um <laughs> this is when we should be like someone should be writing the next fucking fight club the yeah <laughs> i mean that movie did like i mean for i do remember like some people i know saying oh i ran out of the movie theater and was like let's go fucking overthrow everything it's just that back then that was a lot more like fringe and it wouldn't even be it, you wouldn't be able to explain <laughs> why it inspired you to uh, the most of society but i think we're getting closer um but anyway um hopefully hopefully some of the fucking the work can be done soon but let's talk about some other things that happened this week um Tucker Carlson. <laughs> yeah, Tucker Carlson. So this is another reason I wanted to come on the show, because I know you have some connections with Antifa. Uh, <laughs> at least that's what I've heard. And right. I, I have I a black really telephone as... that rings sometimes in my apartment. <laughs> I answer it and do bad things for them. So I, I so as a member of the media, I do host a podcast called Struggle Session. We'll be having our first live show November nineteenth in Los Angeles. Please come out. Plug. Um, you can get you can get all the information on strugglesession.us. But as a member of the media, I was deeply, deeply troubled and deeply disturbed <laughs> by what your associates and Antifa did to Tucker Carlson. I heard that they banged down his door, they kicked it down, they. They made him go into his closet, put on his old bow ties, and spun them around like in the Looney Tunes cartoon. And they did this in front of his wife, in deeply embarrassing to him and his family. It's I, I, I just want to know, like, why? How did we get to this point where even a white nationalist does not feel safe at home? I'm just, I'm distraught. Well, I spoke with my cadre of shadowy associates before the operation went down. And um, just to clear the air, the reason that they did that is because uh, we were all out of um, chocolate milkshakes to throw at him. So, you know, it's just more a question of materialism. <laughs> oh, God. Like, it, it the, the way, like, Stephen Colbert, like, fuck Stephen Colbert, like, straight up, like, his, you know, rabid defense of this complete 
Creedon and piece of shit. I'm going to give you an exclusive. I'm going to give you some exclusive hot takes. So I've already said, you know, Tucker Carlson should be treated the exact way that he wants ICE to treat refugees. Okay, that's that's first of all, because these are extremely vulnerable people who he goes on every night and demonizes. And I didn't even say like illegal immigrants because he's shitty to them, too. And he should be treated that way, too. But we're literally talking when we're talking about the caravan, we're literally talking about refugees from the wars that we ginned up. Okay, this is our responsibility. And he's going on there and demonized them and suggesting that some of them might be terrorists and all this other garbage. Like he's a complete piece of shit. I do not think that he has a right to feel safe in his home. He has no more right to feel safe in his home than anybody else. And most people don't feel a lot. No, not most people. Maybe a lot of people don't feel safe in your home. Poor people don't feel safe in your home. I grew up poor in a poor neighborhood. I did not feel safe in my home. So I don't know why this motherfucker deserves the right to feel safe in their home or where these people who say everyone deserve everyone should feel safe in their home what the fuck are you talking about okay stephen colbert if everybody should feel safe in their home why don't you sell a couple of your homes and put some of the homeless in them okay get get rid of your uh give away all most of your wealth until all you have is your home safety and give it to other people if that's what you really think but you don't really fucking think that you would have different politics if you actually believe that everyone should have, feel safe in their home and, you know, that's a really good point because like you know if you really don't believe in like a collective way of us taking care of each other then you'd have no absolutely no right to be begging us for you to feel safe in your home motherfucker you should be like sleeping next to a shotgun like you fucking talk about all the time you know if you yeah i i, I really like i i can't believe like there hasn't been a few conservatives that have just come out and said tucker carson is a weak little baby <laughs> for not being able to take care of his family because this is all this shit they talk all the time this is what they're supposedly preparing for and then when Antifa shows up at your door, all you do is cry about it. Fuck you, Tucker. Yeah. Fuck you, Tucker. I'm trying to. I was Pieces in you. my head for the last two minutes trying to come up with a bit about um, Chris Tucker Carlson, but I don't think it's going to come to fruition. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, um, you know, it's a never kick, never kick down a black man's door. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um. Yeah, but yeah, and, and the way people are circling the wa- media and liberal media circling the wagons around. Now, I do have I do have to say there are some leftists who I respect who still who are like a little bit iffy on it, only because they think it might be ineffective or it might backfire in a certain way. I think reasonable leftists could agree or disagree on that, but I don't have any time for any arguments about the morality of it because this is what he deserves and i don't have any this is the exclusive hot take i don't have any uh i think i don't think that his family doesn't deserve it (laughs) we don't we don't think the families of drug dealers deserve to not have their house their doors kicked down by police like i don't feel sorry for no one feels sorry for mob wives (laughs) it's the same fucking thing nazi wives mob wives same fucking thing that was an exclusive hot take you could only hear here on america (laughs) um but i do i honestly do agree because um the way that these people have sort of felt comfortable dehumanizing the people in the quote-unquote migrant caravan um you know uh i mean the reason that these people are fleeing a as you said um a situation caused by our own imperialist government um but the the 
the you know the direct reason is is it's to protect their own children. So you know, yeah. <laughs> are your kids better than these other kids? I mean, what the fuck's going on there? You know, um, that reminds me a little bit also of um, this whole thing I was just thinking about with Texas because um, you know the border is obviously this huge topic down there, um, this huge political issue that people have different ways of explaining and the um just to get back to that individualist you know free market libertarian bullshit and if you really sit down and talk with someone if you really sit down and ask them questions like why is fucking tucker carlson you know a person who should be allowed to feel safe when all these other people aren't um one of the things they'll tell you is that um you know i think that a lot of people have these i they have this idea of like statism and i think it's rooted in this sort of libertarian free market belief that, um, you know, that capitalism will correct all of these social woes, right? And so that people are playing against that just golden, amazing thing about capitalism by doing things like leaving their own country and, um, you know, coming here or whatever. But that belief only really makes sense if you really believe in that Chicago school of golden economics and uh and that like you know someone leaving a situation caused by our own government in honduras like morally should stay there and then like start a business in honduras or some (laughs) shit and then somehow you know all these other countries are sort of just going to compete with each other until we're all like this even it's just it's nonsense it's it's interesting to me because it's uh in order to believe that you have to really actively be um like keeping historical context out of everything um and it's really interesting that the people that are in charge of so much political shit in this country are i guess you know uh, yeah actively trying to uh to keep historical context out of any argument um oh shit hold on that is my alarm clock because i am a very tired person okay um i think i got it um But anyways, I don't know. I'm just going to be kind of thinking about Texas for a long time. I don't know if there's going to be anything that entertaining to come out of it. But uh, another thing that happened this week is... um, (laughs) I fucking forgot about this already. Um, Our boy Jeff Sessions uh, got fired. God, God. (laughs) Yeah. Our our boy Jeffrey Beauregard. Um, I want to be... I'm not the first, unfortunately, to say welcome to the resistance. Um, (laughs) Jesus Christ. But he really has been welcome to the resistance. Yes. Yes. I read a tweet that was so terrible, terrible, terrible. It was like, you know, yes, even though Jeff Sessions... It's a white is a white supremacist fascist. His firing could still be a bad thing. How sway? How how can his firing be a bad thing? Or at least how can it be a thing worth like protesting in the streets over? Um, my God, he, I, I, it just, it, it just. I, I, there's so many levels that I'm offended by this on. I'm going to talk. Uh, let me talk just as like uh, on the black level, like <laughs> motherfuckers. How can you like, you know, he's a racist piece of shit. You know that if he was born 115 years earlier, he would have the biggest goddamn plantation in all the South. You know, that's who this person is. And you're still 
and you're but but because he annoyed Trump mildly and got fired, that means that well he's kind of on our side now and we need to defend him or something like that. It's like no, and I'm not saying that him getting fired is necessarily a good thing or will benefit black people, but him getting fired uh, is some is not going to harm black people most likely. Like he's the worst of the worst. This is what this is what we all said when he was hired. Like this is the worst case scenario when you're talking about things like voter rights or you know uh, prison reform. Like he's the worst person you could possibly hire and they did. Like he's basically he's like an electable David Duke. And he got the position. Now he's gone, and maybe he, he's not going to be replaced by anybody good. But like you know, what fuck Jeff Sessions? Like, <laughs> like fuck him. Yeah, I mean, I think there's already been like a, you know a GoFundMe put up for him, and it just shows you like how short sighted people can be, and how we're really kind of trapped in this uh, ideology of like not more than two things can be bad at the same time <laughs> because like, I don't even I don't even want to call it ideology it's more like a narrative it's like a tv show like you know like like all these like game of thrones right like characters will switch sides or like pro wrestling right <laughs> where you go from ba- heel to baby face depending on certain things action and that's what this is it's like just one long ongoing anime for these people <laughs> and now tucker carlson has oh, joined yeah has joined goku's side yeah he's vegeta yes (laughs) he's good sometimes um and jeff sessions is obviously um one of the androids from when they get back to earth the uh weird white haired crazy looking one (laughs) um (laughs) um yeah so (laughs) i think the the reason that people got on that kick is because the uh the immediate story or at least the spin um that was put on it uh, and its immediate aftermath is that Trump's going to replace him with someone who will have some sort of um, some sort of capacity to attack the Mueller probe. Um, and this guy Whitaker obviously sucks. Um, he's yeah pretty terrible at uh, but as we discussed, two things can be bad at the same time or whatever. Um, but it it always comes back with these people to yeah you're right their weird uh kayfabe ongoing meta drama thing which is Mueller and the uh russia investigation um i think that in our notes here you referred to Mueller as liberal QAnon. <laughs> yes <laughs> which- that's yeah it's the thing they're pinning all their hopes on because the QAnon for the conservatives what how it functions is basically we don't have to get into the details of it but it's basically pinning all the hopes that Trump is not completely deranged, right? Like, if QAnon is true, then everything Trump does, no matter how nonsensical, makes sense on the whole, right? And so with Mueller, no matter what, no matter how much the Democrats fuck up or just do nothing or roll over or lay down, Mueller is still in their back pocket and he's going to show up and save the day. It's just that last, you know, like hope spot is what you call in wrestling. Like that's just like is he's the guy on the apron with his hand out holding the tag rope with his hand out wait, waiting for Nancy Pelosi to just tag him in. And then he's going to come in, run rough shot on all the heels, toss him out, win the match. That's what Mueller is. And it's the same function as Q basically to uh because like having all these people 
like so excited and so intensely focused on like a former FBI agent hired by George W. Bush. You can't explain that with politics or ideology. That's something is something larger. It's story. It's narrative. It's pro wrestling. It's kayfabe. It's culture. It's something that hits people in their hearts, not just their brains. This is not strategy. This does not make sense. This is a story. And this is something that people want to believe in. And that's why they're all coming out and protesting to protect Mueller, who's, again, a complete piece of shit, um, who defended torture, um, helped, you know, orchestrate the war on terror, responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths, partially, um, and it's just, you know, should be buried under the Hague. But this is what the Democrats have built their identities around um, post-election, like immediately after the election. Man, if I had known that wrestling terminology was going to be this important to the politics of the end of the world, I would have paid way more attention when I was a child. Um, I know, right? <laughs> I was actually never really into wrestling as a kid. And now I'm having to go back and relearn, like, or learn for the first time what kayfabe is because it's literally being used in describing what's going on with Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. There's there's no way not to talk about it, unfortunately. But like um, there was an article, I think, well, maybe New York Times tried to explain this in wrestling terms. But their, you know, you know, dipshit like liberal idea of kayfabe was like it's only what Donald Trump is doing. It's <laughs> only what the Republicans are doing. They're doing kayfabe, which is like lying to American people when uh, uh, the other thing is true. Like, no, that's not what kayfabe is. Kayfabe mean, doesn't just mean the bad guys are pretending to be bad or lying to the people, but the good guys are really participating in legitimate fights. That's not how it works. It's everybody. It's the it's the <clears throat> It's the um, it's the bad guys. It's the good guys. It's the promoters. It's the um, broadcast journalists, the media, the commentators. They're all involved in kayfabe and putting on this show for people that is um, hiding what's really going on. So the New York Times is a part of the kayfabe too, a massive part of it. And really, you cannot understand American politics without understanding uh, how professional wrestling works. I never <laughs> thought I'd see the day where I could say that and that wouldn't be like completely cheesy and reductive. Yeah, no, but at this true. point, it's just true. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Um, yeah, but I think you're absolutely right about um, Mueller and, and QAnon because they're both like um, these ongoing mythologies that are, you know, sellable because, you know, there's like an emotional uh, demand for it from either side. Uh, QAnon being, um, you know, people that are clinging to the idea that their guy Trump is like um, actually somehow still in power or not or uh, competent rather um, and is some <laughs> sort of mastermind and then with Mueller it's um, you know it's all hinged on the the Russia thing is uh, well if we can prove that Russia actually caused this election then we don't have to address any of the uh, you know the actual reasons why Hillary lost or why um, America isn't perfect um, you know that seems to be the emotional uh, motivation for the Russia thing, because if you can, you can really put your head down and go to sleep at night as a white person. If you're like, you know, oh, it was obviously this massive conspiracy, 
otherwise everything was going great and everything would have been good enough or whatever um yeah and which I, is so fun which is so funny to believe because if that were true then how come the democrats didn't win uh congress or senate <laughs> like, like at the same time like if they just if the russians just uh stole this from hillary how come they didn't win anything else <laughs> yeah well so that's the funny thing about this like weird mixed bag that we got this last week is that people are already starting to say like oh uh, you know the kremlin had their hand in the mccaskill race and all this stuff but it's like okay but they just picked a bunch of specific races and then it only applies to the ones that like democrats lost or like how the fuck does that work right and i think that we have like maybe a tendency sometimes as uh leftists to maybe overcorrect a little bit because this is such an obnoxious argument that comes from liberals uh you know the the every source of all of my problems is russian bots sort of argument um but i think the you know the reality you could make an argument that um you know there like there's like some influence going on there's all sorts of influence going on in every direction in all different elections in all different countries or whatever and like um you know maybe uh maybe not be too prudent to uh, completely dismiss you know russia's motivations but i think their role the the problem is this emotional thing we're describing this like <laughs> tendency to hinge all of it on um you know once we we solve this problem it'll all go away you know because like even even if you could prove some level of uh of involvement in american politics by um you know some sort of russian misinformation campaign that doesn't make racism go away which is a, another huge you know motivating factor in any any of these fucking horrible races like so much of this shit's homegrown um, yeah, it's home. It's homegrown. Racism is a factor. Sexism is a factor. Poor campaigning is a factor. The Democrats not being an actual political party with any kind of platform or message, and instead just being like a big, you know, uh, welfare scheme for um, graduates from Ivy League colleges. Like that's where all the Democrats' money go, goes to. Like these fucking fail sons. Uh, who become campaign managers who know nothing about campaigning and just like try to tell the Democrats that all they need is an app. They don't need posters. They don't need signs. They don't need volunteers. This is stuff that literally happened with Hillary Clinton's campaign. That was not the responsibility of the Russians as far as I know. Like there's so many factors. Like people have a real problem and like two years on with always trying to pin it on just one thing to the exclusion of everything else that's the cause for it like there are a lot of things went into hillary clinton's loss and you know if you can prove that russia was responsible at best for one percent of it that doesn't you know do away with the other 99 percent. but people think it does like when you point out that she didn't go to wisconsin they will counter you with well there was a facebook ad by a russian agency that said black people shouldn't support hillary clinton like those teams two things don't even out those two things can both be true but one of them can be completely irrelevant to the other like you have to I, like people have a real hard idea real, real hard time holding two ideas in the, their head at the same time yeah anything that requires that is almost impossible to explain people just want one <clears throat> simple explanation for why and what and the explanation that makes them feel the best will be the one that they go with um for all eternity unfortunately yeah absolutely because if the russia thing is real then that means that you're not racist and that you're not sexist and that you're not complicit and i think that's like the most important 
Like, um, that's the thing that's most for sale in our society right now is like, you're off the hook. You're not fucking complicit, you know, um, which is like a weird reflection <laughs> of why wokeness is sort of for sale, etc. I mean, it's all fucking tied together. Um, I just think, think about this stuff a lot because, um, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's bigger picture stuff that we need to understand going forward um, as a fucking, uh, you know, a, a nerdy English major type stand of comedian person who has to read the room. I'm constantly trying to understand um, people and their motivations. And that seems to be what's going on with all that, with this deranged Russia gate bullshit. Um, and then also there's all this shit that people believe back in Texas. And both of these things, you know, are huge stumbling blocks to any, any good being actually done in this country. I mean, you're really going to have to do something that um that's that activates people and stimulates them and keeps them from um you know using these excuses essentially is what they are um i don't know i don't know how to do that and i'm not going to ask you to uh <laughs> to solve all of america's problems but i guess uh before i get out of here before i get off the phone with you in uh in these trying times as a um you know a, a person who uh consumes a lot of media uh what would you recommend for me and my audience right now if we're <laughs> um, if we're looking for some some sort of uh, you know movies or literature or comics or anime or whatever to consume? Um, do you have any uh, any anything that would brighten up the specter of all this horrible oncoming bullshit? What are you What are you reading? What are you watching these days? Well, here oh, well here's the thing. For me, um, I tend to dive darker to feel better. I like so, it. So. The, yeah, so right now I'm reading a lot of Carmack McCarthy. Um, no, I'm oh, kind of wow. uh, going between um, No Country for Old Men and rereading Blood Meridian. Okay. Um, both very uh, <laughs> dark, dark, dark books. Oh, yeah. Even, and and you know, Carmack McCarthy is a conservative. He does have like – he is very conservative. Yeah. He, ha- he does believe in good versus evil. But the thing, but the cool thing is, he always writes about the evil people. So that kind of balances out his like bullshit preaching. That you know, his focus is usually on characters who are deeply flawed and deeply bad. So he never can really. There's not enough time to lecture you because he's too busy depicting depravity uh, to do it. I actually found something really interesting in No Country for Old Men. There's a Ricky Ray Rector uh, reference Whoa. in uh, one of the passages, like. Yeah, like like he uh, he uh, the sheriff Bell who uh, played by Tommy Lee Jones in the movie. He talks. He's talking about like um, how his experience with the death penalty, and he's actually a, uh, says he you know he's against it, and he says you know he he talks about how you know one one time you know a lot of those boys who are put to death they're you know not too bright is what he phrases, and he says you know he had one instance where a guy went uh he asked for he got for his last meal he had pecan pie for dessert and he ate it and then left the rest and then the the guard said are you going to finish that and he said uh no i'm gonna have it later um i'm I'm saving it for later which is exactly what ricky ray rector did so yeah i just want to say to you know um the clintons you're such pieces of shit that even carmick mccarthy arch conservative writer was disgusted by you like the guy who wrote blood meridian which is just about brutality and violence and murder and people hacking each other to death 
still finds you completely and utterly deplorable. Um, so shout out, shout out to the Clintons for that. But yeah, I've <laughs> been reading a lot of Cormac McCarthy. I just rewatched Sorry to Bother You, which is even better on the second go if you haven't seen it yet. Um, I've definitely caught that Blu-ray. I've been meaning to rewatch it because I've only seen it the one time. And um, yeah. It's better. It's better. It's better the second time. Yeah, right? I was imagining there'd probably be a bunch of stuff I'd catch and stuff the next time through. Um, so I'll probably yeah. check that out soon. Uh, the first purge, uh, probably the, it's ev- it might be even more leftist than sorry to bother you, actually low key <laughs> really? like people didn't forget it's black it's blacker and more leftist than sorry to bother you, I, but their advertising was just like a how uh, make America purge again hat like I love that they were able to trick like a lot of white people into seeing the movie with n- almost nothing but black characters. That's in what it. the fuck I'm talking about. That's how we fix this shit. That's how we flip you know Texas the next time around or uh, do the groundwork that gets people to understand what the fuck they're talking about in these upcoming like you know elections and shit like that. Is like yeah, make a fucking leftist movie and then make the advertisement for it some shit that would get right wing people and everyone else and gray people in the door and then when they walk out of there they won't even understand that they're thinking about <laughs> leftism they'll just be like oh shit it's fucked up that you know uh that we get pitted against each other in all these ways right like that's how you fucking do it i think from the cultural level propaganda wise for good i think i don't know i uh yeah, no you're no you're right because like there's so much like woke stuff that is explicitly woke and then doesn't really have that many bad politics, but still has a result of like turning people off and turning people against like, you know, like having these having the reactionaries like get super mad at it and it becomes this big culture war thing where people have already, you know, entrenched sides where, you know, the stealthy approach, I think it has a lot of value to it, too, when it comes to the Trojan horse uh, purge approach like that has a lot of value, too, I think like I, I know you, you shouldn't, you know, necessarily hide the politics of everything but even with sorry to bother you like he says like uh, boots has been very clear about this like this is a bl- film for everybody this is not just a black film this is a film that anybody can enjoy just because it's a well-made funny film that happens to have good politics too you never when we're talking about culture you never want to make a message movie you just want to have themes and ideas that you talk about, but you never just want to make a PSA. Like that's the key to making any kind of enduring art with a political message that is worthless shit, basically. Like it has to be aesthetics first. Uh, well, I, I I would say uh, themes before message and aesthetics above all, because if it's not well made, it doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And it's like, um, you know, you can tell when something's like really heavy handed and kind of corny and it's just like, um, you know, it's a political message jammed into the framework of a story or something like that. Stories are, you know, uh, they're about truth and the truth is going to be more abstract than um, something that is relevant to specific political issues. So you do, I mean, you shouldn't un- uh, underestimate your audience and you should make something like, sorry to bother you. That's big. And uh, you know, leaves you leaves the audience, you know, if you're like me leaving the, the theater and, you know, being inspired or like even to go to f- as far back as to, you know, this fight club thing that uh, you talked about on your show and that we were just talking about, like, um, you know, I think that if you can write something that is that level of, of stimulating and inspiring, you know, you can have that moment for people when they leave the theater and they're fired up about something and they don't even understand why. And then later on in their life, when it comes to, um, you know, understanding a more specific, sterile political 
issue that thing is just going to sort of echo and ring in the back of their head. Yeah. They're going to have like somewhat of a foundation for, oh, okay, these two things are similar, you know, and that's like what, um, I think that's what the role of culture could be in this, uh, and I guess, you know, what I'm trying to describe is sort of like a big abstract dialectic or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's why I agree. Like we, so in a struggle session, we kind of approach it from both aspects. Like, so we try to, you know, talk about, you know, leftist media, but we also talk about media from a leftist perspective. Like you can do both, right? Like you can even like, even like, like I was just saying about Cormac McCarthy, he's a right winger, but you can find, a way to talk about his, you know, reactionary politics in a way that highlights leftism while not, you know, throwing away Cormac McCarthy. Like you can still, you can have both or like HP Lovecraft, who is one of my favorite writers, complete, you know, racist, (laughs) super, super racist, even for the time. Oh yeah. Funny. (laughs) But funny thing is by the end of his life, he was actually a sort of socialist. He was a socialist by the end of his life. Really? I didn't know But for most of it, yeah, yeah. Did he Uh, rename his cat? no i don't think so i don't think he renamed nigger man but uh it's it's funny but you can look at the whole of lovecraftian horror like for some reason like a lot of liberals try to dismiss him entirely and say oh all his horror is based on racism which is bullshit that's not there's a reason why like there's tons of Lovecraftian writers who are not like 1940s racists, you know, like there's something there that speaks to people and speaks to a lot of leftists too, because a lot of um, the Lovecraftian writers now are leftists like Nick Mamatas or China Mielville, who, you know, appreciate and study Lovecraft and have, you know, written in his cosmic horror, um, written some of the same kind of things in, in cosmic horror. There's something about the idea that the fundamental like guiding principle of the universe is like horrific and insane that speaks to a leftist perspective too. And when you look at, uh, and you, so you can take these leftist messages from HP Lovecraft, even though, even with his racism embedded in some of the stories, you don't have to throw away all of his writing. You don't have to say this means nothing when it means so much to so many people. All you do is like you lose those people when you should be saying, Hey, HP Lovecraft fans, I'm a leftist. You, I know there's racism in there. It makes you feel uncomfortable. That's okay. You can still love H.P. Lovecraft. And hey, why don't you take a look at what this story might mean in the real world perspective? Like, what if Cthulhu was capitalism? And what if I showed you that in his H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's actual writing, he kind of did believe that. He really did think that capitalism was like a really destructive force that organized the world. Now his idea of undoing capitalism was to go back to like a feudal system where, <laughs> you know, Lord, where like, you know, he could be a aristocrat, but he did write specifically about how industrialization and all this stuff was like turning up, making, turning humanity into a bunch of like, you know, workmen, and that's all they do with their lives, and, like, removing art and culture and science from people. Like, the world does not need, you know, millions of people who can, like, you know, print, press a machine. Like, that's not what life should be be about. He thought, you know, okay, we need more, you know, the nobility should be able to, you know, go back to what they used to do and write, you know, bad poetry all the time. But nevertheless, you could take that initial idea of his that like this is not a way to organize the world and 
put that towards leftist ends and you can't but you can't do that if you just say lovecraft is problematic and he's canceled like you can't do that you can't win over those people if that's all you have to offer lovecraft is canceled i love it um (laughs) yeah um for sure um I will say this, if you've been to a hot topic in the last 10 years, uh, I don't know if Cthulhu is capitalism, but capitalism is Cthulhu. That motherfucker is yes. on everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that market sprang up for, but baby, someone's buying that shit. Well, anyway, Leslie, thank you for uh, joining us, and um, obviously come back um, anytime. We should uh, we should totally do cross pods and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, guys, if you enjoyed uh, Leslie's amazing brain and his uh, ability to understand things like Cthulhu, Thulu and relate them to capitalism. I would highly recommend checking out Struggle Session with uh, our other pals. Um, it's a great podcast, and you should probably plug that live show you guys are doing in LA one more time because I believe we have some listeners yes. out there. Yes, no, November nineteenth in Los Angeles at Resident. It's only ten dollars, only ten bucks. Get you into the live show. We'll have exclusive merchandise, T-shirts, zines, buttons, all sorts of good stuff. This show will sell out. It will sell out. So get your tickets now at strugglesession.us or bit.ly, bit.ly slash sesh LA. And I want to thank Jake for allowing me to come on his New York-based podcast to plug a Los Angeles uh, (laughs) live show because I found out this is in the bylaws. In order to have a podcast in Los Angeles, you have to have a half-hour sitcom in development with Comedy Central. (laughs) That's the only podcast that exists in Los Angeles, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, we're all about breaking the rules, you know, and overthrowing um, our overlords here at um the uh glue factory i live in um all right well leslie have a good one um yeah enjoy your uh, live show let me know how it goes we're hoping to get into that sort of thing over here at pda as well awesome awesome thank you so much yep all right that was my interview with leslie lee the third from struggle session um yeah like i said check out his podcast and follow them on twitter and check out all their stuff um big fans of theirs um also speaking of live shows if you're in bushwick or brooklyn or new york or the surrounding area hell someone came out from fucking new jersey a while back come to my live stand-up show it's called yoko it's uh on the second tuesday of every month at El Cortez in Bushwick. I host it with Ian Fidance and Claire O'Kane. And uh, this week we've got um, Jabuki Young-White, the newest correspondent from The Daily Show, and Daniel Simonson, Mary Beth Rohn, Otto Fernandez, and more. It should be really fun. It's literally in a couple of days. So, um, yeah, if you're in the hood, come hang out. Um, we had a really great time last, uh, last time, which was the first one, and hopefully we'll just be uh, doing it every month into the future. Um yeah, other than that, you know, rate, views, rate, review, subscribe, all that bullshit. Um, yeah, uh, if you're a new listener, check out our Patreon for bonus episodes. We do a bonus episode every week. Um, things been going really well. Okay, I'm fucking exhausted. I'll see you later.